Our elementary kids are dismissed to their classrooms. Well, last week in our church staff meeting here, um, we were taking some time to kind of just go over the current sermon series and just how it's been speaking to us, what we've been learning, kind of just sharing feedback from different people at church. And Bob looked at us and said, you know, it's not fair that the first time Justin gets to speak during this series that it lands on like the greatest passage in the book of Ephesians. So apparently I hit the jackpot, cha-ching, and so I'm privileged to be speaking specifically on what we're going to talk about today. If this is your first time joining us here in person or on Facebook, um, we have been going through the New Testament book of Ephesians, verse by verse. In the past couple of weeks, we've looked at how the Apostle Paul hits on our identity as followers of Jesus, that we are God's children, holy and faithful that God sees us in our glorified state. He sees us as our true future selves already because of the work of Jesus. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if all of that wasn't enough, last week we took time to examine Paul's gratitude for the recipients of his letter here um, to the Christians in Ephesus and how... um, the depths of his prayers for them were centered around them knowing Jesus better so that they could understand the hope that we have in him, the greatness of his power, and the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. And that was just the first chapter, okay? That's a lot. And so today we come to probably the top, if you will, crown jewel of this letter. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10, and my friend Daniel's going to go ahead and come up here. He's going to be reading for us today. If you're using a pew Bible, it's um, page 1665, I think. Is that correct? Yep. 1665. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, man. If 
you remember the first sermon in this series, uh, we talked about how the first three chapters um, really examine who God is and who we are in Christ. Um, and then the last three chapters talk about how we live out our faith. And so Paul knows, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew where he was going with this letter. And so the truths that he's telling us in chapters 1 through 3, they have to be understood before Paul can get to any more difficult stuff. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 when he starts talking about marriage, what it looks like for a husband to love his wife. Paul knew that we must put first things first, proper understanding of who God is and who we are before him. Those things must be established before we're able to live out our faith. So the first three passages here highlight how the Ephesians were once dead, were once spiritually dead. And the language that Paul uses here is actually pretty vivid. The Greek word for, for dead here means a corpse. It literally means a corpse, a dead body. So before encountering Christ, he's telling them, you guys were dead as a corpse. And the same is true, as a, true of us, right? Until believers are aware of our spiritual deadness apart from Christ, we won't get the gospel. We won't get it. Until we understand the depths of our depravity, the gospel won't excite us. Until we fully grasp, which we never will completely in this life, how messed up we are, the gospel will not wreck us. John Piper put it like this. He said, no one knows the extent of his own sinfulness. It is deeper than anyone knows. And the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? None of us know how sinful we really are. None of us are aware of the depths of our depravity. And if we are being honest, all of us put a lot of effort and energy in trying to convince ourselves and others that we're not that bad off, don't we? Or we try to distract ourselves from having to think about it to where we never have to focus on our sin. And I do it all the time. I tend to think that I'm a pretty good dude. I mean, I go to church, I pray with my kids, I tithe, I read my Bible, I'm a pastor, doesn't that give me some extra cred, right? I can't be that bad of a guy. Wrong, wrong, I am so messed up. If I'm being honest, nearly every choice in my life <laughs> is motivated in a lot of ways from a selfish spirit that wants to make my life easier, more comfortable, or more enjoyable. Even when people sometimes seek me out for help or guidance or counseling, my natural bent is to want that relationship to demand as little from me as possible. I can come across maybe sometimes kind and caring. Maybe that's not your experience with me, and I apologize. But really, if I'm being honest, below all that lurks a selfish spirit that wants that situation, that person to demand little from me so that I'm not overwhelmed. I'm more sinful than I will ever understand, and because I don't grasp the depth of my depravity, 
Sometimes the good news does not overwhelm me. And if I'm being honest, it's pretty rare that the gospel wrecks me. When you've spent a lifetime trying to prove to yourself that you're a pretty good dude, it's difficult to be overwhelmed by grace. That's why in order for us to be blown away by what Christ offers us, we must first have to understand and accept how lost we truly are. And the fact that Paul compares our reality to a corpse speaks to our desperate condition without Christ. Verse 3 says that we were by nature, by nature, deserving of wrath. That's pretty interesting. Nature has nothing to do with actions, does it? Nothing to do with the sins that we commit. Our human nature is sinful, and that, that alone makes us deserving of God's wrath. So to put it this way, you are the biggest problem in your life. Yeah, yeah, that sucks to hear, but you are the biggest issue that you will ever face. It's not your parents' fault or the faults of other people that hurt you years ago that you're sinful. They might have done some damage to you, but it is because of your nature that you are sinful and lost. And it's why each of us deserve hell. No matter how good of a person you think you are, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are all born spiritually dead. And so this truth alone just makes the comparison game fall apart, right? Oh, this guy's holier than me. He, he sins a lot more than me, so I'm better off than him or whatever. It's a level playing field that we're operating on solely because of our nature. The fact that we are human beings. Piper went on to say this. Whew, this is rough. Our nature is so rebellious and so selfish and so callous toward the majesty of God that his holy anger is a natural and right response to us. His holy anger is a natural and right response to us. But, but, and this is where it gets good, okay? Listen up. Verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved. So against this backdrop of despair and hopelessness, Paul turns his attention to God's saving grace and it begs the question, why? Why does God save us? Why does he offer us new birth, salvation, being made alive, whatever you want to call it? It doesn't make sense. There is no true rational explanation for it. It is because of his great love and because he's rich in mercy. That's why. That is the only explanation and I want to hit on something that we talked about a few weeks ago. Paul says that we were dead in our sin. Okay? So that means that while we were hopeless, lifeless, while we had nothing to offer Christ or anyone, he pursued us. 
Okay, it's him that initiates. It's God that raises up. He is the one that awakens our soul, breathes life into our spirit. It's not that I decided to stop sinning one day and just become a good old boy, become a good lad, right? Please. He changed our nature. He pursued you. He tugged on your heart and extended his grace towards you. We couldn't do anything about the nature that we were born in, right? A corpse cannot raise itself up from the dead. We cannot bring life to ourselves apart from supernatural help from God Almighty. We get none of the credit. It was and is all of God's working. And now we, we come to a verse that's just insane. This verse is insane to try to comprehend. Verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You, you hear us talk frequently at, at Wellspring about how God sees us in our glorified state right now. Okay? This is probably the key verse that gives proof to that teaching and that belief. It notice, notice it says that God raised us up. Not that he will do it someday. It has happened already. It's a current reality that is 100%, 1,000% true right now. One Bible commentator put it this way. Though we are presently located on earth physically, we have been assigned a place spiritually at the hand of the Father. Paul's point is that our salvation should not be appreciated as merely a change in status or intellectual thought. Rather, salvation is a change of spiritual position before God. By his work, we've been moved, spiritually speaking, from our prior position as sons of the devil dead in sin, to our new state as sons of God, alive in Christ. Imagine being invited to the palace of a king. Try to put yourself in that position. If, if you have been, that's legit. Imagine being invited to the palace of a king, and you're kind of like, whoa, okay. Got this letter. So you show up not knowing what to expect, right? So you enter and eventually you make yourself, you, you know, you enter the throne room, you find the throne room, and you are in awe of just the immaculate beauty of the room itself. You think this sanctuary is pretty, take it times a thousand. You're overwhelmed with the beauty of the room. Straight ahead, you see the largest dining table ever created and the aroma of the food is just mind-blowing, okay? Smells that you've never even experienced before. And then a little ways up, you see him, the king, sitting on his throne with his son bedding to the right. And then you see all these people gathered around this massive table, socializing, celebrating, and just full of joy. You feel completely out of place. I don't belong here, right? Why am I here? This is weird. And all of a sudden, the king calls you by name, and time freezes. He calls you by name. He says, hey, come here. Oh, boy. What's he going to say? So you make your way to him. 
you get right in front of him face to face. He stands up and he gives you a hug so full of love that it drops you to your knees. And he looks at you and says, you are my son. You belong to me now. Everything that I have is yours. Please sit and enjoy this meal that has been prepared for you. That is what it means and looks like to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is how God sees us right now, today. He sees us as righteous and holy because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered our sinful nature and our sinful hearts. That is love. That's a love that we cannot fully understand. It is a love that is available to us every single day. And I want to be real with you guys and let you know that this past week, God hit me and graciously revealed to me that I don't receive his love very well. Anyone relate to that? Three people? Five? This past Wednesday, literally, I wrote in my journal, sitting back here, Dear Lord, grow my willingness to allow you to love me. Grow my capacity to allow you to love me. What does it even look like for me to let you love me? In my office, I have a question written down on my dry erase board that Bob kind of threw at us several months ago. It just says this, how much are you allowing God to love you? And the answer to that question for most of my life is not very much, if I'm being honest. Like some of you, I don't feel worthy of being lavished with that kind of love. My inner critic's voice is pretty loud, so that's certainly part of my battle. But what hit me this past week is that I take a lot of my life for granted, and I miss small moments that God tries to speak to me. So he showed me this past week, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday night, my wife Sarah and I, we had like a 20-minute conversation that we really connected and we needed to connect, okay? And God just said, that's me loving you through her. Duh. This past week, I got to spend time, I don't know if he's here, my friends Ryan Van Belkum and Kenny Atkins. That's God loving me through them. On my way to one of those meetings Thursday morning, I was up early and I got to see the sunset. And it was beautiful. And literally as I'm driving by the North Shops, God's like, this is me loving you. I took three or four days this week and sat over there and just, if you've never just looked at the stained glass in great detail, do that. It is insane. I stood in that old prayer room for like 15, 20 minutes maybe and was just in awe of the beauty and the richness and the depths of the, of the, like the deep, dark reds and the blues. And God just said, that's me loving you. I, I've been living so long <laughs> unaware of those small encounters because I'm, I'm on to something else, right? I got my to-do list. I don't have time to soak it in and really understand what he's doing for me. And man, it made me full of gratitude. It just filled me with joy. Why would I not want to follow a father that loves me like that? Why would I not want to surrender to a God that loves me like that? I want to show you guys some verses now that speak to how deeply God loves us, specifically through the identity that he gives us. So we're going to put several passages up. 
if we have that slide. I want to give you guys about a minute of silence right now. Read this and let these just soak in. If you want to take a photo, you certainly can do that. But let's just have about a minute of silence and just soak these in. All right, now, I want to hear from you guys now. How do those truths stir your heart? What's going on inside of you as you read about your identity and the love that he showered upon you? The floor's open. What stirs inside your heart as you read those? Yeah, why should we ever, yeah, let fear touch us. Absolutely, if those are true, what in the world do we have to be afraid of? That's excellent, yeah. Whoa, way in the back. Is that Wyatt? That's awesome. He's saying that they're super encouraging to read, but it also demands a response from us. Yeah, absolutely. We have to do something with these truths. Are we going to receive it every day and share it? Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, one more. Okay. Yeah, he's saying, if you couldn't hear that, he's saying, yeah, he's a child of God. He's God's property, even though he doesn't always maybe feel like it. He knows, he knows when he's not living into that identity, right? Feel restless. Fear starts to take over your life. Fill in the blank what it might be for you specifically. 
Good. Thank you, guys. If you're here, you kind of find yourself a little bit thinking, it seems a little too good to be true. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Yeah, you should. Hopefully more than three people. Just wait. It actually keeps getting better. Verse 7 explains why Christ seated us. God seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It says, so that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, now God's just being silly, right? I mean, this is nuts. God does all of this just because he wants to show us his treasures of grace and bestow his kindness to us, okay? Paul is just beautifully describing God's goodness here. He is driving home how loved we are and how we are adored and cherished by the Father. Now we come to the final three verses here, 8 through 10, which in some ways kind of reiterate a few things, but I'm just going to go ahead and read those if you, if you still have your Bible out. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now here Paul is repeating the same phrase he did in verse 5. It's by grace you've been saved. And this passage shatters the belief that we have to perform. It shatters the belief that we have to you know, perform for God or that, that there's something we have to do in order to be the recipients, okay, of this grace, this gift that's not from ourselves. Our good deeds don't even come close to measuring up to the price required. To pay for our sins. If they did, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come to earth. This gift should humble us and remind us that we have nothing to be arrogant about. We have nothing to be arrogant about. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, hey, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Do we do that? Do you boast in the Lord? Are you busy boasting in yourself and how much you think you know? Do people know when they spend time with you, man, they, that guy, that woman diligently gives God the glory. They know any, any good thing in their life is a gift from above. Do people know that about you? It's by grace we're saved. Christ initiates that relationship with us. He pursues us. He saves us. He gives us a new heart. He raises us up. All we have to do is put our faith in him. And this verse says, even faith is a gift from him. We literally just have to receive it and just believe him. Believe this all to be true. And we can only imagine how Paul's words in this letter would have hit home with the young believers in Ephesus. 
These are in a, they were an oppressed people who anytime they went in public or met anyone, good chance that person was worshiping a false god, worshiping an idol. Imagine how meaningless life probably felt for them before Christ. And they read in this letter how they were dead, how God's love for them is so profound and great, how they've been made alive in Christ, and how all of this is a gift from God. Man, talk about words that breathe life into their souls. And then verse 10, they discovered how God had a plan for them. And verse 10 kind of gets to our calling. Okay, in other words, what do we do? Kind of like Wyatt said, what is our response to all of this goodness that we've been showered with? Well, just like a good tree bears good fruit, a heart that's been transformed by the gospel should bear good fruit. Love and compassion and kindness and good deeds should flow from us because we've received those things from the Father. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 5, he says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Here's a question. Do you believe that God really has things for you to do in his kingdom? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's placed people in your life that he wants you to reach through him? And your excitement level for joining God in that mission is directly related to your confidence and your identity in his child. If you really understand what God has done for you, like you get it, you will want to share that with other people, okay? If you're not that confident in that list and what God's done for you, you're not going to be very excited to share the gospel with other people. If you have a product, right, there's some skincare product that has changed your life, that's made you look 30 years younger, I would bet you're going to tell people about it, right? With excitement and passion, try this, it changed my life. If you're just like, eh, it's cool, um, people at church say this can help, I don't know. That's not compelling. Nobody's going to listen to that. We have the greatest gift, the greatest story the world has ever known. In the gospel of Jesus, his saving grace is the best news that this world will ever hear. And we get to join him in sharing that story with others, guys. What a privilege. What a privilege. And so as we come to a close this morning, if you're here today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I know that's the majority of you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I hope this passage has awakened your heart a little bit to remind you of how lost you are. To remind you of the depths of your depravity so that you will be filled again with gratitude. Gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for you and what he extends to you every day. If you're here today, maybe you're, you're kind of on the fence with this Jesus thing. I hope today has shown you what you're missing out on. I really hope you know now what you're missing out on and what is available to you, this gift of God 
that's free. Right now, his arms are open, waiting for you to respond. And so respond today. Today's the day of salvation. Respond. If you came with someone, talk with them. Talk to your ministry leader. Talk to someone on our board. Talk to me. We want you to know and experience the God who is full of kindness, rich in mercy, and overflowing with love. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you are so good. Man, we don't deserve any of this. God, we were dead. So dead, God. Before you came and breathed life into us. Jesus, we do not understand why. Why you choose us, why you chose us, God. And just the riches that we have available in you. Such sinful, hard-hearted, selfish people. But God, we give you gratitude and full praise and honor today, Lord. You are worthy of everything, God. Our entire lives of devotion. So God, I pray that you would hear our praise today. God, help us to wrestle wrestle with this this passage God that we'd be reminded of how far we are from you God just with our sinful nature Lord and just the grace that you have extended to us God let that overflow us with joy and thanksgiving Lord we love you God in Jesus name amen go ahead and stand with us as we sing our last song